Welcome to the CDA's annual conference podcast series. I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy, dermatologist in Halifax, Nova Scotia. We're here on the floor of the Canadian Dermatology Association's 2019 annual conference in Calgary, Alberta. This is an opportunity to chat with people in a little bit more depth, some of our keynote speakers, interesting topics, um, people that are presenting at this conference. So I'm really happy and excited to have with me Dr. Zaina Kayat, who's a future strategist at SE Health. She's also an adjunct faculty at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto and is on faculty at the Singularity University. She's here at the conference looking at the long and broad view of the future of health. So welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. It's great to have you, and uh, you just gave a very interesting and uh, forward-thinking presentation. So I've already had a lot of feedback, and what's interesting is a couple people came up and said, I hope you're doing a podcast with her. That was awesome. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad to be able to, to have this time with you. So tell me what got you into this area in the first place. So my job title is future strategist. So some people immediately interpret that to be that I'm a futurist. And okay. futurists are this ecology of people who predict the future. That's not what I do. Okay. Uh, so what I do is uh, because healthcare is going to go through so much change, like more than it's ever seen, just like the rest of every other sector of society. But our sector is not so good at change. Uh, and so, you know, I'm really around looking at those signals and then translating them so we can make the right bets and the right choices now. At the end of the day, that's what I call a wicked problem, uh, modernizing healthcare. And so if I had to look back at everything I've done since I was a kid, what, what kind of gave me a buzz is just solving really messy problems. Okay. It just took a while to figure out that I wanted to do that in, in healthcare instead of some of the other areas I've, I've been working at in the past. Okay. Well, and this is surely a messy area. <sighs> so what I thought was interesting was, was a quote that you did show, which says, medicine will advance more in the next 10 years than in the last 100. And I, I think that's really, you know, it, it, that actually resonated with me. What do you see in terms of the next, say, one year, five year, 10 year, where medicine may be going? So there's a few uh, key areas or shifts that I explored in the talk. I think the one big one will be um, a much more blended digital kind of physical experience. We currently have about a 98.8% physical modality or channel. And you know, one, not only is that inconvenient in many ways for people and their families, uh, also extremely expensive, and it very, very much limits access to precious medical resources to the people who can access those physical places, which tend to be in urban centers. Mm -hmm. uh, in an era where people are getting sicker, they're expecting more, we don't have any more money, uh, and a lot of people go without, it just makes no sense. And, and the rest of society has blended kind of digital into a physical experience pretty seamlessly, mm -hmm. and we've just yet to do that. I, I think we're gonna look back and say like, wow, you used to have entire conferences to talk about virtual doctor visits. Like, to me, that'd be the equivalent of having an entire conference around having conference calls at work. Okay. Like, you just do it. You right. know, you just you, you just call your grandma at Easter because you can, you know. Right. So, so I think digital will be one. I think the other big one will be a massive shift uh, out of institutions and um, heavy focus on acute care and curing and healing to the home setting mm -hmm. or to care anywhere. Uh, and, and not just the location, but the, the focus on preventing and creating health 
instead of fixing problems and treating disease. Uh, that's going to have money follow it, new care practices, new models, and most interestingly, completely new players. Yeah. Like Walmart will be a top healthcare business. Right. Um, Apple, yeah. Google, postal workers are going to be healthcare delivery agents. So it's just going to change the whole game. Uh, and the incumbents uh, are uh, either going to be left to the side or are going to participate in that. Well, and I think, you know, you ta- you showed some information. You talked a little bit about personal diagnostic apps, different ways that people will use apps or, or web-based to access care. And I think that is perceived as a threat by a number of physicians in particular. Um, how do you see or how would you recommend that we start to maybe um, – integrate some of this into our practices so that we're not, as you say, like left in the dust. Yeah. So I think that, you know, this word threat really fascinates me in healthcare because what are we here for? Like the the mission statement of any of us, the calling is to create health. Right. And if the evidence shows that, you know, um, meeting people where their needs at, their expectations, their convenience, whatever, their, uh, uh, creates better health, it's kind of ethically responsible to move in that direction. Um, and so so that's one. I think then the other is, um, uh, you know, we're out of money in healthcare. Right. <laughs> and people go without, particularly in dermatology yeah. or like where, like, like I was just talking in my talk, I've been waiting eight months for a derm consult, eight months. Um, so... I just don't buy it that this is a threat, right? Yeah. Nobody is going to lose their job because the demand for healthcare services is only going up. We have more people. They're staying alive longer. Right. And they're staying alive longer with extremely complex illnesses. So so we just need to redistribute how we're using our precious resources so that we free them up for the people who really need it. So I just see no threats, to be honest. I don't understand that argument. Okay. And, and I, 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 I don't take that as a, my own personal <laughs> argument, but I do think that is something that, that oh, yeah. we hear. Yeah. Now, in terms of, um, you, you know, you mentioned this in your talk, and I think it's true. Dermatology really does have an opportunity to get on board, and we have uh, the type of specialty that really allows us to do some of these 100%. Uh, more technologically advanced, or, or not even advanced, as you said, just, just standard yeah. um, things. Do you have any, what would be your advice? Advice for us as a group of dermatologists, you know, would, would it be apps? Would it be uh, telemedicine? You know, store forward type stuff. What do you think are some good models? I generally think there's kind of two categories of you know innovation that one can think about. So one is just obvious, you know, modernize for the 21st century. So of course, digitizing all your stuff. Of course, offering choice of how somebody might want to do a consultation. Um, and using AI and, you know, photographs and video to um, really to replace the cognitive tasks that we used to have to use uh, humans for so that, you know, you can use your, your sharpen up more your skill set as a physician around s- connecting the dots of everything else going on with this person that no machine, at least currently, can do. Right. So I think taking advantage of that and really being ruthless about what am I spending my precious time on, mm-hmm. you know, that could, you know, that can't be done by anyone else. Um, that can change the game in many ways. And we've seen physician practices that have found 30 to 40 percent, you know, n- new resources um, without adding any more money. 
just by modernizing their practice. It's a win-win. Um, it's a it's a like it's a triple win. Win-win-win-win. Like, win. There's yeah. rarely any innovations <laughs> in healthcare that hit all the quadruple aim. Right. Better for clients' outcomes, better experience for client, lower cost, and a better experience for the physician who gets to play at the, the top of their game. Right. Uh, and participate in the 21st century. So, so I think those are like the minimum. I think the next generation, the other bucket, are more like bleeding edge innovations that are coming and certain docs or clinicians want to be part of the first to test those like 3D printing skin or these nanobots, you know, in the clothing um, or really advanced AI, not, you know, the AI today in dermatology is pretty routine. Mm -hmm. It's just statistical regression, to be honest. So uh, I think, you know, you can play in that whole spectrum uh, and I encourage you. The last thing I'd say that I really try to work with clinicians on doing has nothing to do with technology. It's business model innovation. Mm-hmm. I would love to see a derm practice, which is you know what we're seeing in other areas of healthcare, put their money where their mouth is and say, you don't pay me until my I hit these outcome targets, right? Um, that's coming in many other parts of healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, and and those are the kinds of things that excite me. Okay, that's pretty cool stuff. And um, one of the questions that I was thinking about when you talked about improving patient satisfaction with these type of models would be, you know, I feel that there's a lot of physician burnout and there's a lot of, uh, not a lot of it, but I think at least a portion of it really has to do with some of the information that patients are getting from sources and bringing. And then you spend a lot of time trying to either uh, demystify or uh, debunk, um, you know, certain things that people are thinking. And so do you see this as a way whereby do patients feel that they have more control, I guess, if they're... 100%. Yeah. The, the power of patients has shifted. Like it or not, it just has. What, and that uh, is yeah, antithesis to the whole training of medicine. Uh, and, you know, it really bothers me. Like there's these like glibby mugs. It's like, you know... Uh, your Google search has nothing on my 15 years of medicine. It's like, give me a break, okay? Because you should actually be excited and happy that your patient is engaged in their own health to go do their own research instead of being this passive recipient of, you know, your all-too-knowing knowledge that you've accumulated. So I think, though, there's tools that can allow you to not use your time you know, helping your client figure out whether Gwyneth Paltrow's goop, you know, <laughs> product um, <laughs> Uh, again, that to, to filter that out, that's just triage, right. right? You could have an AI that could have done a back and forth with your patient beforehand. What have you looked at? What have you considered? You know, so that you're right. again saving your precious time yeah. for what matters. So it's totally possible. Right and I now. guess that's also sometimes I think if only I could direct people, and I agree with that, you know, I think that having patients take control or have a vested interest in their own health is really important. And we do talk a lot about, you know, preventative health, but we don't, we don't back it up. Yeah. And so if there was a way to somehow be able to not control, but, but to, um, uh, intermediator, yeah, yeah broker, m- broker yeah. where that information is coming from. hundred percent. And that's so, I just went to a talk last week, two weeks ago from Kaiser Permanente, which is a big U S health system. What's exactly what they've now done. They've been working for three years on kind of like a digital app marketplace. Right. Not that they're selling anything, but they, they're letting their clinicians vet, and this was in the context for mental health and behavioral health. Okay. And that's where access is a huge, huge problem. There's just no way 
you're going to be able to do clinic visits to deal with the population's mental health issues. So, so they went through clinically vetting and validating, you know, really a marketplace. Like think of it as, you know, a website or something for uh, tools that are out there that they think are really good for these situations. So that gives everybody peace of mind, yeah. right? That's happening. Like it's like a formulary almost yeah. like you do for drugs. Yeah. Um, but you don't need to have money be exchanged hands in this case. So that's totally possible. Like, that could be a project for a you know a college student team to help you in your practice. Totally, it's not hard to do. We generally put the medical students to work, but same type of. Oh thing. my God, the poor students. <laughs> so what I think about as well is you know in Canada we certainly have issues with patients being able to access care for a variety of reasons, whether it be um, they're at a, a far distance uh, or whether it be that they just don't have the resources or they don't trust the Western medical system, and so. Are you aware of any examples in Canada where maybe, say, uh, a Northern First Nations population is able to use technology that, that they feel comfortable with to access care? Um, so uh, there's not a lot of that in play, although a lot being tested. So I'll just give you an example of a project we've been part of. Um, you know, we all know because cervical cancer is like a silent yeah. killer. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how they do it in Halifax, in Nova Scotia, but in Ontario, you get this like brown letter when you turn a certain age as a woman. This says, come in, open up your legs in the stirrup, and some man's going to go in there and do the pap smear. And like, or maybe a lady, because there's more women. Maybe in a lady, now. but uh, <laughs> I think I have four of those piled up. I'm not going. Okay, like everything about, and I'm like educated and I know, but I'm you not going to get there. Now, you're a Syrian refugee or you're a First Nations right. person who's culturally sensitive or you're a woman who's had sexual trauma, no chance in hell you're doing it. Right. And, and the never screened, under screened have the worst outcomes. So, totally. So instead of Cancer Care Ontario sending more letters, which is what they've been doing, uh, we went, we've been designing a culturally sensitive screening program where we're meeting people where their needs are, designing right. it with them in yeah. primary care, figuring out what works and doesn't work. Those types of things, I think, are becoming yeah. more and more. And that's where this word of human-centered design or design thinking is coming to healthcare, yeah. where we're not letting the system decide what makes sense based on you know incredible evidence but nothing's designed for the person's life. Right. And you're designing it around them and then it works. So we're seeing a lot of that. Okay. But uh, we're, we're also seeing other areas of the world where there's poor access or culturally inappropriate um, options like in Rwanda or Kenya where they're bypassing everything yeah. we have yeah. and getting great results. So like 2 million people, for example, in Rwanda are now on the Babylon kind of virtual primary care app and Babylon okay. powers all 24-7 instant access virtual primary care for the National Health Service of the UK. 65 million person uh, healthcare system uh, also using Babylon. They've just entered Canada. They're distributed through TELUS. Okay. Babylon's available to anyone in BC, paid for by the public. Uh, I would love to see us bring that to First Nations and Northern populations. Yeah. I would love to. And I don't think it's that hard. Yeah. Well, that's 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 really exciting. And I think these yeah. initiatives will make a huge difference. And I think, you know, you do have to consider the patient experience, which sometimes doesn't come into play. And so that's yeah. set up where you're, where you're developing programs with the stakeholders, with the patient, yeah. with the group. It's not just consider, you're actually starting, starting with. You're with, designing yeah. around them, and then you figure out everything else. Right. Um, that's a very different way to design healthcare services yeah. for Canadians, whereas it's becoming kind of the standard in most other healthcare systems. It's been very top-down. 
Now, one yeah, of the things it doesn't work. No, and and one of the things that I, I think is really interesting in, in in your area or some of the things that you talked about were all these different neologisms. And so, you know, I really I specifically <laughs> liked predictalytics oh. and and the panome. Do you have a favorite neologism oh that you God. refer to? I have so many. So, <laughs> digital was one of the Digical's ones I talked one. about today, and and then the other opposite that's digital and physical, kind yeah. of the seamless blend. Because I hate the word digital health. Right. Um, the other version is fidgetal. <laughs> Physical and digital. Um, I talk about, I work a lot with older adults. So uh, Jaron Technologies, we talk about, um, there, there's a whole bunch of the Welderly, this kind of new segment of older adults who are nothing like our social constructs of aging, yeah. you know? This is exploding. So we just wrote a book called The Future of Aging. So all those words are in there. Okay, cool. Uh, and, and I actually keep a lexicon of the new, you know, the new language of, the, of, of healthcare in the 21st century. So I've got like 30 of those. That's super cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, I have like a 93-year-old patient that jumps up and down <laughs> off of the table. She's, she's in better shape than some of my patients in their 40s. And yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I think it is a new. Oh, I think ageism will be the next, uh, you know, what racism and sexism were, how it took how many generations and, you know, we're still not there because it's just a social construct. Right. Uh, we have not had as many people uh, this old as the pop, you know, as a proportion of the population in the history of humanity as a species. So nothing about our sociology is designed for understanding this. So the reframing, the identity like, you know, if you say, oh, a guy actually right after my talk came up and he's like, I'm old. I'm like, dude, that's going to become a racist <laughs> way of talking. Like, it's just not um, I just I think this whole new aging population is going to be a fascinating phenomenon in yeah. Canada. And, and then and a big chunk of that will be reframing healthcare. Absolutely. For this population. Yeah, yeah. There's different challenges, different needs, and more needs as time goes on. Different demand, different expectations, everything. Now, have you had many of your, uh, if you're working with older populations, yeah. do, are they embracing the movements? Are they embracing technology? Yeah, so there's this other myth. So I, I do a talk called the top 10 myths of healthcare. So today I talked about privacy as a myth. So the other one is old people don't do technology. Right. Again, it, it's an ageism statement. Um, guess what? You know, 20 year olds also don't do technology. True. So, the point, because healthcare treats everything as a segment of one, because we have, right. so one size fits all, we just think the whole segment is that. And no, the reality in any kind of consumer-like orientation is hyper-segmentation or micro-segmentation, which means some people you know, are going to write the AI algorithm themselves and they're 100 years old. And others are never going to touch this fancy technology. Right, true. But that's the same for a 30-year-old. Yeah. So I think the, the point is all about choice, about, you know, multiple channels, multiple options to meet people where their, you know, capabilities, needs, expectations are. Right. And there is an incredible segment of this older adult population that, uh, you know, isn't going to age the way their grandparent, like, they're just not going to have it. So <laughs> we are at a long-term care facility that has like a six year waiting list and like, you know, and it's a very old building. And so, you know, now when a new person comes in, they're like, okay, where's the internet? Where's the this, where's the that? Because they're What's FaceTiming. The yeah, code? like, and they're like, what? We have a TV by, you know, whatever, Kojiko. So uh, yeah, so we've been tracking a lot of those signals and that's an entire chapter of our book. Okay, actually. cool. Speaking of books, <laughs> what do you think are the top three books yeah. that you would recommend to somebody. Yeah, so uh, I talked about a couple of them today. So um, I'll, 
uh, two are from the same authors. Yes. So the first one would be The Patient Will See You Now right? by Eric Topol, who's a, a cardiologist at Scripps and really probably the biggest health innovation thinker and influencer in the world. He wrote this maybe three years ago to just capture, you know, this shift of power by patients and their families. Uh, and it's all manifesting, everything he said. Right. The second he just published in March uh, uh, by Eric Topol called Deep Medicine. Okay. And so he's looking at what AI uh, and deep learning and machine learning is going to do to transform everything. But the the title of the book, Deep Medicine, his thesis is it's going to allow a physician or any clinician to go deeper into their practice, to you know, be, to do the, the it'll increase the humanity, not decrease it, because you're going to get machines to take away all the, the you know the the less deep tasks. It's a fascinating book, uh, and it has implications for everything, the workforce, policy, care. And then the third, which is my required reading in my course, is by a, a guru from Harvard named Clay Christensen. Okay. Uh, so Clay was the first to coin the theory of uh, disruptive innovation. Disruptive innovation would be like what Uber did to taxis, what Airbnb did to Hilton, that this like little like punk you know player who didn't know the market, didn't have the channels, really knew nothing, mm -hmm. clunkier product you know, almost overnight eliminates the incumbent that's had the market locked up for 100 years. That's exactly coming to medicine. And so he he wrote a healthcare-specific version of the book okay. called The Innovator's Prescription Okay. Um, to, to kind of show us what's going to happen across many aspects of the traditional incumbents, uh, physicians, hospitals, pharmacy, you name it, um, uh, as disruption comes. So those are, to me, required reading. Wow. Okay. I'm going to add them to my list. Yep. I'm going to get those books. Uh, <laughs> or audio. You could do audio, girl. No, I like to read. I like, I'm like an old school. I like the physical book, too, you know? Yeah, so they have good in, images, too. Yeah. In some ways, I embrace some technology and maybe not others. So, But I'm, you have a choice. I have a choice. What if the rule was, no, the only thing that counts as reading is the book. Yeah, see, that would That's be... what we do in healthcare. I like it. <laughs> if there's, Is there anything that you didn't mention that you just thought, geez, I've had this whole group together. I'd just love to give them this one, you know, thought or piece of... You can say no, but yeah, is there no, anything I, that you... I, I hinted at it. The, the cover photo of my presentation was uh, a miner yes. coming out of a mine with a little bird in a cage, which is the canary in the coal mine, and if you remember that kind of uh, analog is that, you know, the way they knew that oxygen levels were, you know, are low for the miners is as soon as the canary stops singing, that's an early warning signal. So it's like, a, you know, a biologic sensor in many ways that they got to get out of the mine. Um, and so, uh, you know, in the whole kind of de-physicalization of medicine from buildings and you know, surgery and blood and having to open you up and to be able to find out what's going on. Well, that's all happening. And so the new biomarkers, the new way we're going to know what's going on uh, is your skin, the sweat on your skin, the feeling of your skin, the color, the changes. Stuff will be on your skin, like tattoos that measure heart rate um, and sweat and blood glucose, or right under your skin. So the skin, the voice, in terms of your tone, your speed, the words you use, how much you're slurring, and your breath. A little bit of the eyes and the ears. Those biomarkers are abundant. Right, every and day. They're, and they're being digitized. So when they're digitized, they're now zeros and ones, and they can scale exponentially. And every time you want to get that data, there's zero cost. It's like the cost, you know, the cost of an email is zero almost. So 
Whereas right now to find out what's wrong with you, you got to go to the clinic, get the blood work, wait for it to be sent to the clinic, you know, all that goes away. So most people expect about 70% of diagnostics will be replaced by these. So to me, the skin is going to be a revolution of medicine. So everything we just talked about is modernizing the old practice of dermatology, right. you know, diagnostic and a bit of treatment. I think skin as an interface is going to be a game changer, just like voice and breath. I don't know who's thinking about that stuff, but that could be a massive opportunity if a few Canadian derms wanted to get ahead of this and be the world leaders. It could put this profession on the map for the world. So remember that to all the listeners that uh, do it, do it. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining me. That was very intriguing. I, you know, I'm going to read those books. I look forward to hearing more from you in the future, which I'm sure I will. And uh, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Great questions. I could have sat here all day with you. You know that? <laughs> That's fun. Zaina Kayat is our guest today. She's a future strategist at SE Health. She's an adjunct faculty at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto and on faculty at Singularity University. She was here talking about the future of health. Sounds kind of ominous, but also exciting. That's it for this episode. Make sure you hit subscribe so then you're notified when new episodes are released. From the floor of the 2019 CDA Annual Conference in Calgary, I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy. Thanks so much for listening.